Good morning. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Natural and Kosher Cheeses, when quality and flavor matter. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Naomi Nachman, and I'm about all the food all the time. I love food. I love to shop for it, cook it, eat it, eat at restaurants, anything food-related. I'm a kosher personal chef. My business is called the Aussie Gourmet. I give cooking classes. I cater for people for Shabbat, for Yonta, for Pesach. Anytime you don't feel like cooking, I'm your gal. I hope you'll tune in every week and hear about my exciting cooking adventures, kosher food traveling, and sharing of great food and recipes ideas. But I want to hear about your experiences too. So feel free to email me at naomi at nachamsegel.com. You can join my fan page on Facebook, The Aussie Gourmet. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, um, and join my newsletter through my website. So uh, I'd love to hear from everyone. Thank you so much to everyone the last few weeks who've uh, uh, emailed me to say Mazel Tov on my daughter's wedding. It was so exciting. Um, and today's show is a little bit about um, tied into our Sheva Bracha week that we had in Chicago. So we've got a great lineup of guests today. Um, just uh, I want to uh, give a big shout out to last week's show that we did at Gourmet Glut. Um, in spite of everything that you go through to put together a show, we had a terrific time. Gomeglat, you are amazing and thank you so much for putting it together. I want to thank all the people that were involved in the show last week. Um, Mishpacha Magazine and, uh, of course, Gomeglat and AHC Appliances. Make sure you get your barbecue done. Get, get it from AHC Appliances and they do deliver to anywhere where in the tri-state area. They, those barbecues were incredible. Uh, we even, AHC even donated the barbecue, which we gave away also. So there was so much going on. We had we had wine and baskets and cheese baskets from National and Kosher, our terrific sponsor, and also our sponsor from last year, uh, Abel's and Hyman. They kindly donated a basket of meat so uh, for the barbecue. So as barbecue season is in full swing, we, we had a great barbecue show with Mendy Hurst cooking up a barbecue. And um, if you missed our show and you couldn't watch it or be there, you can watch it on our archives uh, on nachamsegal.com or on our YouTube channel, uh, nachamsegal.net. I got that right, DK, didn't I? Yes. <laughs> Big smile. We are, we actually don't have a video today. Today is a Skyped show because when I was in Chicago uh, for my daughter, Sheva Brachot, I had this wonderful opportunity. And because, you know, modern technology is so fantastic, I was able to take my iPhone because right here on the Lower East Side, well, when we would do our shows from the Lower East Side or Gourmet Glap, we're able, I'm able to, with modern technology, I have a special app on my phone from ZK and I can go around and I can interview people across the country and across the world. I've done interviews through Skype with um, Gabe Garcia, Chef Gabe Garcia from um, the Oxnard uh, Terraceur at uh, in California and I interviewed him and Claire's from Claire's Kitchen in um, Connecticut. So now I was able to go to Milton, Chicago and we did a great interview in the spot in the restaurant itself. We had dinner there, uh, a mock sheva bracha um, with all the Sassini family. My my now I can say machatanim with our machatanim. My parents, um, my uh, son-in-law's grandmother was there. Uh, Sabine Yakubovich was there. We had a great time, and of course I said Brian Greika, executive chef extraordinaire. Uh, and good friend of mine. So we sat down and you can hear the hustle and bustle of the restaurant in the background behind us. So we did our first interview there. And then you'll you'll stay tuned after this interview to hear from the guys at Romanian Sausage Company, which was incredible. So uh, let's, uh, ZK, we're going to play that interview now. And you're going to, you're going to get hungry with his mouth watering the ribs and all the food that he's going to talk about. Okay, let's go, ZK. I am sitting here in Milt's uh, restaurant for the perplexed. Barbecue for the perplexed. Ba barbecue for the perplexed uh, in Chicago. I am here for Sheva Brachot for my daughter, and we decided we have to have a meal at Milt's. I'm very good friends with executive chef Brian Greiker, and he took such good care of us tonight. The food here is incredible. And I've had Brian on my show before, and I said, while I'm in Milt's, I want to record from the studio, from, turn the studio, turn the restaurant into the studio. So uh, thanks for having us here tonight. Oh, well, thanks for coming. Mazel tov. 
Yeah, thank you. It's always nice. I, ho I hope that everybody gets a chance to make a simcha for their children, no matter what it is. It's always a wonderful milestone. So, uh, that. And Brian, since we had you on the show last, you've even had your own simcha. You had a little baby boy. We did. Yeah, just before Pesach. Yeah, that was really good timing there. <laughs> I didn't miss a day of work. Of course you didn't. Thank goodness Milt was closed. You work really hard here and it shows. How did the concept of Milt get started? Because it's a little bit unusual, the, the, um, the uh, philosophy behind the restaurant here as well. Okay, so our owner, Jeff Ader, um, really likes barbecue. I think that's where, honestly, that's where it all started. He really wanted to open up a restaurant, which is more than just a restaurant. It was more almost like a community center. He, he calls it a community center without the pool. Um, so we do a lot of events. We give a charity of the month. Every, every single month, our profits go to charity. It's really, really important to him. So he could care less about the profitability of the restaurant as long as he's able to do all the side projects. And what kind of charities has he been involved with? What's a typical charity? Um, well, he's given to the ARC, uh, he's given to a couple day schools, uh, local community services here in Lakeview in Chicago for homeless. Uh, right now, there's a, the, it's for uh, the Night Ministry, which helps, uh, sorry, which helps uh, kids who are homeless or having real, you know, problems and issues, helps them integrate and get them back on their feet. So those are the type of charities. Uh, he, they, he puts a lot of effort into picking and choosing and vetting the organizations each month. I love that. What a, what a big mitzvah, because I can't say I know too many restaurant owners, even though I love you guys and you're doing amazing and you, you keep us fed and we appreciate what you do for us. This is really special. Yeah, no, he's, and he's very, very sincere, and honestly, it really is a pleasure to work with him. I work for him. He, um, a lot of people are skeptical. They're like, oh, it must be a tax write-off or all these other things, and I'm like, no, it's legit. You know, and it makes me and our GM pull our hairs out sometimes trying to work our P&L when we see all this money flying out sometimes. But it's a great, great thing to have to work with. I love it. That's fantastic. I, I, I'm, it's so special. So let's talk a little bit about you, executive chef over here. How did you get your start in uh, cooking? Were you a chef when you were a kid? Um, well, I did cook a lot as a kid. My, uh, my, my parents would travel out of town a lot, and so... We'd have a bit of free time in the evenings, especially, and so I'd like to cook, you know. And you know, so we didn't really have the home cooked meals necessarily every day. So I'd play around, you know. We had food in the fridge, and I'd mess with it. I loved making omelets. I loved making steaks, um, bacon. Big fan of bacon growing up. <laughs> Brian is a chazer b'tshuva, and so he's tasted a little bit of the outside food before he became from. Right. Am I saying that correctly? Sure. Yeah, and actually the bacon that you tried here tonight, um, I modeled it off of one of my favorites growing up. So I tried really hard to, you know, obviously it's been decades since I've tried it, but I, I tried really hard to try, kind of mimic that, that texture and the flavor of it. It's really interesting because, you know, I've been, I've been Orthodox my whole life and I've never had bacon. So, you know, I was surprised. It's slightly salty. Yeah, bacon is generally very salty and smoky. It's uh, so you know the sweet and spicy. That's where different brands and stuff come into it in different styles. But the salty is a big part of it. It's almost like jerky, but it's sliced so thinly. It's not like chewy. Very interesting. Kosher bacon has become so trendy. Pele makes duck bacon, and and um, there's Jack's Gourmet makes bacon, fake and bacon. Yeah, veal, veal, veal and duck are probably the most popular. Um, I would love to do it here, but it's cost prohibitive for most of what we do. But I have done lamb bacon a couple times in the restaurant, and it's phenomenal. I just pile it high on a piece, of, a couple pieces of bread with a little bit of uh, you know aioli and some uh, lettuce and tomato. It's really good. I love lamb bacon. David Sil uh, David Silverberg does Chaim Silverberg. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Chaim, I'm sorry, Chaim. You make the best lamb bacon ever. I'm waiting for you to come on my radio show there. Um, yeah, so the food here is really great, and we sat in the middle. You have this community table. Um, smack bam in the middle of the uh, restaurant where groups can come in say like our little Sheva Bracha group can come in or you know small groups and have just a fun group meal together there's a couple of booths and, and tables you can hear the background the noise I love doing a show from a restaurant because you get to hear what's going on in the background and makes you want to come here and you should just know that tickets can be, to Chicago can be really cheap on Southwest Airlines they can be low as $80 a round trip so if you want to just spend the weekend 
and just go somewhere cool. Come to Chicago and eat your way around Chicago and make Milk's number one restaurant. There's a couple guys that come here. They don't, even, they don't even leave the airport. They fly into Chicago, get an Uber, sent to the airport, and then they fly right back to New York. It's happened a few times. That is crazy. So what do they order? Usually ribs or like the rib sandwich has uh, got like kind of uh, an underground uh, uh, phenomenon a little bit. Uh, Fiasca, Dan Elif. <laughs> that is crazy. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so it got posted on Dan's Deals uh, about a year ago and became and kind of exploded a little bit. And we didn't have it on our menu. And so we started getting a lot of phone calls and people requesting it. So actually, I found a way to produce it in a larger quantity. So now I can put it on our regular menu. And we sell tons of it. I love that. That's absolutely incredible. I should have made you try tonight. I forgot. What was it? Which it's, it's the rib sandwich. The rib sandwich. Your, the, but the ribs were amazing. Had that perfect. What did you call that pink rim? Well, yeah. The, yeah well, there's the, the smoke ring is what it's called, uh. and, and bark. The bark is the the, the rub uh, that gets uh, nice and crispy on top. Oh my God, the food is great. So what's for dessert? What do you guys have for dessert here? Uh, well, we have blueberry bread pudding right now, uh, chocolate mousse, which is off the hook which doesn't use any Rich's Whip or anything like that. And we do cookies and brownies. Oh, I remember that, the, the chocolate mousse. Who else are you here from Mountsco? That is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what's the secret without chocolate, without the Rich's Whip? How do you get it so fluffy? I mean, I use olive oil and I whip the eggs. You know, it's the separated egg method. You can Google that. <laughs> oh, he can't tell us. It's a secret. Or all, all all, you'll have to come here and try it. It's one of those things you just got to go over here and try. How long has Milt's been open for? Uh, three and a half years. Um, yeah, we're push- and I got, we, I got hired almost four years ago, so it's been quite a ride. It's cool. You know, it's such an accomplishment. You are one of America's most talked about kosher chefs. Uh, I'm not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrity chef Brian Greiker. That is cool. How does that sound to you? I'm not ready to go celebrity yet until I get my book deal or TV deal, but I'm working on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you've been on the Nachum Siegel Network now twice. There we go. You're moving up in the world. (laughs) One interview at a time, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. We are sitting here in Milts in Chicago. Is this downtown Chicago? North side downtown. It's, It's north side. North side. Okay, we're going to make sure we talk right into this thing because everyone can hear the, the noise in the background. It's fun. We actually did a chop competition back here in um, February. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. The space here is great. The food here is great. Brine is great. And really from the appetizers all the way through dessert, there's something for everyone. So uh, thank you so much for having us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Mazel tov again. Thank you. And, uh, you know, get yourself down here to Milt's and uh, have a really great summer, everyone. And we're going to do some more interviews with all our Chicago chefs um, in the next couple of uh, days. Okay. Picking right up again after listening to Brian. And we are uh, going to do uh, our interview now uh, with Mr. Arnold Loeb, the owner of Romanian Sausage Company. By the way, you should just know that uh, I bought back from uh, Chicago, some of his amazing products, and we are going to be eating them slowly over the next couple of weeks. I had a half a suitcase full of Chevrolet outfits when I came back, and a half a suitcase full of Romanian Sausage Company products. So their stuff is really outstanding and really made from a high quality ingredients. And let's hear from Mr. Arnold Loeb's story of uh, all about Romanian Sausage Company. ZK, you want to play that out? And we'll uh, hold on to our seats for an exciting story. Hi, this is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. We are in Chicago. We uh, just had an interview with Brian Greiker, with the executive chef at Melts. And now I am sitting in, I don't even know how to describe it, the back rooms. I'm in the secret rooms of the Romanian Sausage Company. So it's really exciting. And I am going to be uh, interviewing the owner, uh, Arnold Loeb. Arnold Loeb. Arnold Loeb has been the owner for how many years? Uh, I've been in the, with, with the business uh, since uh, 1957. 1957. How long is the? Uh, did, were you the original founder of this company? Uh, actually, it was my my father was the principal founder. I I helped in the beginning, and uh, I joined full time the business uh, probably two about two years later because I was in a different line. 
I used to help on Sundays and set up and things of that sort. But my father is the founder, yes. So let's talk about your dad and how and how and why he started. Was this a secret recipe? Is this from Romania? Is that a misconception that it's a traditional Romanian recipe? Well, uh, actually, uh, uh, no. He uh, he, uh, um, he changed the, the, the he had some formulas and he altered them and changed them to suit uh, the American taste and the, and keep the. Uh, advantages of the European uh, flavor and work out the best uh, the best uh, uh, f formula for success here. Um, one of the uh, secrets is also that we, we had ever, always everything fresh, everything uh, fresh as opposed to uh, long-term storage, right, is one of our secrets. So one of the secrets is fresh ingredients. We talk ab about that a lot on our show, is what makes good food good food is fresh ingredients and not filled with preservatives and chemicals and all the schmutz that can go into making food. Right. right. That, is, uh, that is well, well put. Uh, well put. Uh, so uh, anything. <laughs> okay, so your father came to America in what year? Well, Did he come straight to Chicago? No, uh, we left Romania in 1947. Uh, we tarried about uh, eight, nine months in Belgium because of uh, legalities. Uh, then uh, we were able to cross the ocean. Um, we uh, got permission to visit here in Chicago. My father had two brothers. We were, we were here for Pesach. Uh, and that was in 48, I guess. And then we continued on our journey. Our uh, destination and our visa was for Dominican Republic, and we lived there for a number of years. Wait, you lived in the Dominican Republic? Yeah. What language do they speak? Spanish. So you still speak Spanish? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. I went to primary schools there, so... Oh, cool. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, I left actually the island earlier than my parents, so I came here earlier. Uh, I came to the Hebrew Theological College. I was a th student there with my parents living in the Dominican Republic. And uh, they, they, when the immigration situation changed at some point in time, about two and a half years later, they were able to come here too. One at a time. First my father to his brothers, and then he requested from my mother to join him and me to change the status from a student visa to a permanent resident visa. So going back to Dominican Republic, because I'm a little bit fascinated about that, how many Jews were living in the Dominican Republic back then? Not too, not very many, but we had our own, we had a synagogue and we had, uh, we met every, every Shabbos. Uh, they, they were, uh, in the capital there was more Jews, uh, but uh, there was still not, not many, a few, like a hundred, a hundred, I don't know somewhere between 100 and 200, I guess. Um, in the island, there was also something of note in that island. There was a, uh, a uh, Jewish settlement in the north end of this, opposite end of the country from where the capital is, which is in the south and which was where we were. And, um, and the, the place was called Sosua. And uh, this was a, uh, um, a Jewish people from Europe, I guess anticipating the situation there, they uh, got permission to move there and set up uh, like farming communities, and uh, that, that was all uh, all all Jewish. And by now, it's all uh, it's all uh, there's. Uh, I don't think there's any Jews left there anymore, but uh, there was a thriving community when I came when we came to the capital to the to Ciudad Trujillo, as it's called. Yeah. So that's the extent of Jewishness in the in that island. That uh, the settlement and uh, it was primarily dairy, dairy and, and meat. They uh, they uh, had the cows and. Uh, I guess that's good for someone who was going to go and end up in the butchery business. Well, we had nothing to do with Sosua whatsoever, but right. uh, right. and uh, and that was uh, that was that. So when did your dad come to Chicago? 
well, I came in 1950, so he must have come, I guess, in 1952 uh, uh, or 53, somewhere 1952 or 1953, right? Okay, and was he actually a butcher in, in uh, Romania? Uh, in, in Romania, he had uh, really a, a, a grocery stores, uh, a number of them. Uh, but he had a, a brother-in-law who was in this sausage making uh, and uh, he worked with him at times too, right. So he learned a bit of the trade and the art, the art of making sausages. But Chicago is very famous. As you can hear in the background, we've got rolling carts. This is a working sausage company. We sit in the back, in the secret rooms at the back. I had to get snuck in. <laughs> and you'll, you'll hear like a bit of banging and clanking and rolling of carts because they're literally making the stuff while we're here uh, well, in Chicago. Right now. <laughs> Not this second, but they're doing all the prep work. Um. Yes, uh, um, what I wanted to say, uh, yes, my father, not, not knowing, going for a different country and not knowing what it will bring, he actually, he enrolled in an official course in sausage making. Oh, that's so cool. A course yeah, in sausage yeah, making. Like a diploma, right, uh, from a course on, on that. So uh, he was, you know, very uh, serious about, uh, uh, should I say, uh, uh, equipping himself for a new life or who knows where and what, and, you know. And, and this was in Chicago? No, in Romania. Oh, oh, the, oh so he did the sausage uh, making course in Romania. You where you're going, you don't know what you're going to be doing. So he felt it was a good uh, to have to have that knowledge, you know. So. Oh, that was such a smart move on his part because who knew that like Chicago was like going to be home of hot dogs and and salamis and yeah. Romanian sausages. Yeah, but from his standpoint, again, it was uh, what will he do for a living? What will be apropos? What will be needed? What will be demanded? And of him, and uh, you, you have to the more education he had in the various fields it was but a chance of coping with the unknown well he did a fantastic job mama everything is muzzle when in in when you're when you're starting off in the new life in a new country but it's it looks like he did it and had good navua when yeah. when he did a sausage course because he ended up being the sausage kosher sausage king yeah. right right he did uh, he did excellent his status and god helped him after the his status to to the success and uh and uh, it is my uh, my feeling. Uh, people ask me uh, why, wh what's so special, what's so this, and what's so that. Uh, I'm at the, uh, about the product and about the line and about everything, and uh, I'm at a loss what to answer. So, uh, following up on that, his uh, Stadlus and and his Seattle Dishmayo to to success, and uh, uh, and I followed that that. Uh, uh, with his uh, passing away, he left a bracha uh, on these products that we continue making, you know, and with his formula. So, so maybe it, perhaps that is the, uh, the 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 answer to what makes it different. Right. Beautiful. Okay. Now let's talk about the location. Have you always been right here in? Okay. What? I, I'm, I'm not. I know I'm not in Skokie, and this is not West Rogers Park. So, what area is this? Uh, well, this is uh, East, uh, you might say East Rogers Park. East Rogers near, Park, near I like the, that. Near the lake, right. It used to be a very, very strong Jewish neighborhood. It is not uh, now. And now it's West Rogers Park. Uh, but uh, people come from all over the city and, as you know, from all over the country. And uh, so uh, they find their way here, I guess. Yeah, they do. They certainly do. I came with a couple months ago with some friends who are chefs. We went on a food tour. We made our own kosher food tour of Chicago, and we ate at Mills and Shallots and Emmers and um, Tel Aviv. We wanted to try all the cuisines of Chicago, and of course, we all came here. It's nice that there's like a real butcher shop going on here. You don't see butcher shops anymore in New York. I'm sorry. We don't see butcher shops in New York anymore, so this oh, is still a bit well, like an old, there like a butcher shop. Chicago either. There isn't much, much butcher shops in Chicago either anymore. Okay. That's I just think there is none, right? Right. Like, yeah. Right. This is like... Well, we're a sausage company, but also... Right, company. right. 
You have great meats. I brought back some meats from, to New York from here when I was here last time. Okay, so, um, so you've been, so how many years have you been? Is this the original plant? Uh, no, uh, we started on, uh, in Albany Park, which was then the center of Jewish uh, neighborhoods uh, in Albany Park, and we were there for about uh, uh, 10 years. At which time we 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 set up this th that was just a regular store, and broke through the wall through a next door and uh, another door and uh, one of, one of our the stores we we wasn't next door we had to commu commute through the street to to uh, store stuff there for coolers and stuff, uh, but uh, it's uh, about ten years later we around sixty seven we set up this plant here. And for a while, for about a year, we carried out both of them until we closed that one, and we uh, consolidated here. Okay, this is a huge plant, right? Well, Looks by really today's to standards, uh, this right. is not big. <laughs> if no were big enough for us, we were having right. a hard time managing to make all the products that are demanded of us in this Yeah, location. how many different products do you make? I have not counted them. <laughs> it's too many to count. I love the salamis. I love hanging there for two weeks. How long do you recommend? That? What's the, you know, your recommendation? Your no recommendation. It depends on how dry you like them. Okay. <laughs> What's the most you could do it? Like, can you do it for a year? Or, that, uh, or that's too long? But, uh, uh, you know, I presume it probably, probably could. If you, if you keep it in the right... You have to know what you're doing, though, to keep in the right atmosphere and the right uh, method. I leave mine hanging from a kitchen cabinet, so I feel like it's got to circulate good fresh air. And yeah, just but to try to avoid, for example, putting it over the sink. It'd be humid. It should be a relatively dry place so it can dry. It stays well by virtue of the fact that it's drying at all times. I don't know what There's a bit of beeping going on here. Maybe the sausages are ready. Time to take them out. Okay, this... <laughs> Got to figure out that alarm. Okay. All right. My daughter Eliana is with me. We're figuring out the beeping alarm. This is... All right. All right. Don't worry. <laughs> ZK can just block it on out, can't you, ZK? All right. So we are here in um, Chicago in East Rogers Park in the Romanian Sausage Company. And we're going to have a look. I'm going to take a look around and take some photos. Okay. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you sitting with me. Um, so if you want to have these amazing sausages, just come on down to Chicago. But I know that you sell some in New York also, right? Do you sell them in New York? Uh, no, we, we, we only sell them here. There's some people who take them there, but we sell them uh, here only. There is a, a, a company that, that sends some stuff from here. Is, uh, at least one is the Deli at your door. Deli at your door, okay. So this is great. So come on down to Chicago. There's lots to see and put on the top of your list. The uh, Romanian Sausage Company because it's, it's really cool and, and they're absolutely delicious. So thanks very much for... Uh, well, it's upside down. Thanks so much for sitting with me today. Can you show me the different brands? We're going to take a look around and we'll uh, report back. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Natural and Kosher Cheeses, where quality and flavour matter. You know, it is the summertime and I just want to do our What's for Dinner segment sponsored by our friends at Gourmet Glut. And that's where I buy all my fruits and my vegetables. I do do a little Costco shopping, I'll be quite honest, but I always find the watermelons at Gourmet Glut delicious. So, you know, I wanted to do share with everybody my favorite recipe uh, from for making gazpacho soup. So I used to make the pretty much the traditional gazpacho soup, which is basically a cold tomato soup. It is so delicious. I happen to love tomatoes, especially this time of the year when they're coming into season. Right now they're a little bit, you know, starting to turn from green to red, uh, depending where you are uh, in the United States. But in New York, they're still a bit green, so you can do fried green tomatoes, which are delicious. I have a recipe on my blog for that. But I actually wanted to do my watermelon gazpacho soup. So I take such a delicious combination of flavors, watermelon and tomato. It's actually quite a popular salad when you also throw in some feta cheese. But I've got a, a different way of serving that. Uh, instead of a salad, we're doing a, a watermelon gazpacho with an almond almond crema. Crema is like a cream. It's a fancy way of saying cream. So um, I take a pound of seedless watermelon. So gourmet like they they chop it up and you can buy it like um, 
in a, a half a watermelon or a quarter of a watermelon or you can buy your whole watermelon as well um, and you need about three cups worth of watermelon sometimes you can even buy it all uh, in prepackaged containers so whatever you uh, think you can do is easier for you you can grab it it's all available um, then I take a large beefsteak tomato uh, one English hothouse cucumber. You know, that's the big long one um, in plastic. I actually do buy that at Costco. <laughs> um, or Gourmet Glat has them. Uh, Costco has them three for one and, and Gourmet Glat, you can just buy the individual ones. Um, they come in plastic. You take off the plastic, you peel it, um, and then uh, you can remove the seeds if you'd like. Um, a jalapeno pepper, if you like it spicy, Keep the seeds and the rib inside. If not, split the jalapeno in half. Wear gloves when you do this because if the seeds and the ribs touch your fingers and then you touch your nose or your mouth, you will burn. Really hurts. So maybe wear gloves while you do this and wash your board and your knife right away afterwards. But it's really worth the extra little bit of kick. I take out the ribs and the seeds and I just have a little bit of kick from the jalapeno pepper. Uh, two tablespoons of olive oil and two tablespoons of red wine vinegar. Some kosher salt and freshly ground pepper. And then I just literally throw all of that in the food processor. I do put in my jalapeno first because I want it to be chopped up very fine. I don't want big pieces of a jalapeno. So first I throw in my jalapeno into my food processor and then I throw in my watermelon, my tomato, my cucumber. I spin that all around already with the uh, jalapeno and um, then I throw in the olive oil, wine and kosher salt. It is delicious. I serve it very cold. Now on top of that, I like to do when I do a brunch, especially in the summertime, uh, which is going to be dairy, or you could do this for Sudashlishit if you are already uh, in that milk zone. Um, I take a half a cup of almonds, which I toast up. Then I take two ounces of feta in brine from Natural and Kosher Cheeses, which is available at Gourmet Glat, a quarter of a cup of sour cream, three tablespoons of milk, a bit of olive oil, and some salt and pepper. And I mix, like I make a, a, a cream. It ends up being like a thick cream. And I put that in the center of the... Uh, gazpacho watermelon like in the bowl when I plate it just to make a nice color and then on top of that I'll put some garnish of the uh, freshly toasted almonds it is pretty it is delicious and really refreshing it's actually like if you just want it it's really low low calorie also so if you want to even have that as a snack it's like a great thing to make a huge batch and just keep it in the fridge one or two days um, so it's a really great uh delicious refreshing soup or drink so that was our what's for dinner segment sponsored by our friends gourmet clark thank you so much for gourmet clark okay we are continuing along um our chicago trip um when i was in chicago um i was introduced to lynn shapiro by nathan block who was a friend of my mahatonim valerie and paul sassini um and lynn shapiro has written a cookbook she's for, it's called Food, Family, and Tradition. It's a Hungarian kosher-style family recipes and remembrances. And I thought it was a, such a lovely concept and such a lovely idea and a beautiful tribute to her and her family and to the Hungarian Jewish community. So we're going to get uh, Lynn on the phone now and we're going to Skype her in right now live. This was not a pre-taped interview while I was there in Chicago, but we're, we're going to get her in. Susie K, how do we make that happen? You're the best. Okay. Our interview with uh, Mr. Arnold Loeb, it was such a great experience being there. It's definitely one of the foodie stops that you must do in Chicago along with Mills. And of course, I want to give a shout out to Emma's and of course to Shallots, my favorite haunts when I go to Chicago. I haven't been in about nine years and I was there three times in the last few months so that was pretty exciting uh for me um so while i was there as i mentioned a little bit earlier uh friends of our mahatonim nathan block uh made the introduction to lynn shapiro lynn shapiro has just written a cookbook called family sorry food family and traditions hungarian kosher family recipes and remembrances and it, she gave me a copy and even on the copy i was very impressed to see it was a winner of the gourmand world cookbook award so that was really cool and her family owns the hungarian kosher foods a supermarket in illinois and i have her on the line hello lynn hi naomi thank you so much it's really lovely to talk to you likewise yeah. likewise so uh, it was very nice that nathan made the introduction because i love getting cookbooks mm -hmm. this cookbook is kind of 
unique, don't you think? Because I, yeah. it has also, it's a historical cookbook and has like um, memoirs and stories with the food. That's what I love about it because it's, it's traditional recipes intertwined with stories and and I love also, I just, you know, before we get too detailed, um, I love the bit of um, how you have it on um, scraps of paper written, like like you wrote it and then it was put on top. I don't know how to describe it. Like the little the little notes. The memories, they, like they're on the parchment, old pa- parchment paper that have been saved from an era that is no longer here but gives you the life and the stories of that are inspired by the dishes and the foods. So let's I talk a, a little... designer. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's really a beautiful book. Now let's talk a, a little bit before we get right into the book. How long has your family been into Chicago for? My parents uh, came to Chicago in February 1948 and uh, after the Holocaust. And so they've been here and they were in the grocery business and the food business, I want to say. And then my father's dream was always to open an all-kosher supermarket. So so your yes. parents started the, the supermarket? Exactly. Mm-hmm. My father worked there till a week before he passed away. Oh, well, how in many years ago was that? It oh, was in April 2007, uh, just after Pesach, uh, nine years ago and people still walk in there and expect to see him even though it's been nine years because he has wow nice nice okay so so um your parents started the store and um they they obviously are where in where in hungary are they from so my mom is actually hungarian and my father is from czechoslovakia Okay, but they're like near, near, very close to each other, right? They border about, about thirty kilometers apart, and he's oh, that's from an nothing. area, nothing. But it was very different countries, and right. I don't know how familiar you are, but the uh, Czech government was very tolerant and very open-minded, and they still have a very clo- uh, good relationship with Israel. And the Hungarians took over in March of 1939 which is actually what my father said when the troubles released and the anti-Semitism really started in Czechoslovakia. And they had to learn a new language, and it was a whole different government in their area. Right. He was just 13 years old. So, so they were both from that area, but the same area in terms of the foods. The foods they cooked were the same. The traditions are the same. It's very close. So... So then they opened it up, and Hungarian uh, kosher foods expanded and expanded. And it, we also have a large uh, wine department, but all the carryout foods that we sell are our recipes that we cook on the premises from scratch. Uh-huh. And are these recipes are the ones that you've chosen to put in your book? There's about only about ten percent of the recipes in the book are actually in the store. We have okay. other ones in the store, but what it, what happened was my dad had started to write his autobiography because he felt that it was important to instill the truth of what happened, of what the people were like. They were just living a normal life, in his words. And he was a prolific speaker who used to speak all over Chicago at Northwestern University, at synagogues and organizations, and Meanwhile, my mom, who had run the kitchen, the kitchen was originally, she was the original chef there. Oh, that's so nice. That's very cool. So it was a real mom and pop store. Right. I've been working in the biz, in the food business, since, in the stores, since I, I can remember. And my children work there. And their greatest memories are before Passover, you know, packing the foods on the, stocking the shelves and cooking the eggs and making uh, chicken livers in the middle of the night. They just wow through the food. And so my mom went blind about 15 years ago. So I started to try and develop these into real recipes. And then suddenly I had this idea to put it together as we live. 
How long did it take you to put together? Oh, this book took on a life of its own. It took me... <laughs> they always to... say that. All the cookbook authors always say that. It really was just a journey of about four years, uh, maybe five years, till from the early, very beginning thoughts of it. When I first started to think about it, I decided to contact someone and I... Uh, just through luck, contacted Lisa Eckes, who you may have heard of. She is one of the, she put culinary publishing on the map and is one of the most outstanding culinary agents. And she said to me, there is no book like this out there. I must do the book. And so she found me, my editor, who is Nancy Ryan, who actually just recently passed away suddenly. Oh. But she was... Nancy was one of the most amazing editors and food writers and editors and recipe developers and testers in the field, and she fell in love with this project. So I, the team that I had pulled together with it and um, gave me such an education, but it was takes over your life and just takes you to places and a journey that you don't even realize. So it took me about four years. Um, wow. Mm -hmm. I've got friends who – I've interviewed a lot of people who have written books and, and I have friends who have written a lot of cookbooks, and I know that they all say it takes a life of its own. You put your whole heart and soul into the book. Mm -hmm. And, well, and all your I time, really like, feel like you even do if nothing I do else but the book. Pardon me? You can do nothing else but focus on the book. That's right. That's it. It just takes over your life. And I actually, um, Lisa had told us that we should self-publish this because of Hungarian kosher. We had a way to self-publish it. And so uh, we developed, um, uh, I developed the Cherry Press, uh, and which is in memory of my dad for Kirsch, and then, which is a cherry. And then, oh, I get it. I didn't know that Kirsch meant cherry. Mm -hmm. And yes, it does. And so I, I pulled it together. And actually, I was worked with Nancy. And then I worked with this, my editor, Anda Rubin, who was a young woman from Romania who had made Aliyah to Israel. And so she really understood the era. She understood the culture. And yet she was pretty modern and trendy. I don't know if you noticed the little wine stains for the wine suggestions. I did, I did. So I love it. this was she was amazing. But all the little doilies there, those are all our doilies, and all the artifacts that you see photos of are all ours. Uh huh. And yeah, I'm just to pull it together. Was, and there's a napkins and beautiful candlesticks. Right, those were my grandmother's actually. They had, how did she uh, get them? How did you get them to America? So, so that's a story. Part of the book focuses a bit on the story of Jews in Munkach after the Holocaust. Did you notice that? That's because one of my father's uh, sisters survived and remained in Munkach after the Holocaust. And then when she tried to leave, the Soviet Union had locked the borders, and they were there till 1973. But she was known as a pastry chef in Munkach and one of the top bakers there. And some of the recipes are her recipes. And so she had the candlesticks. And she brought oh. them with her in 1973. And where did she settle when she came? In Chicago. And she, she came actually to... worked with my mom in the kitchen of Hungarian Kosher Foods. They actually cooked a meal for Menachem Begin when he was prime minister and came to Chicago. That is, oh my God, that's amazing. Can you sh elaborate on the story? Is there anything more you can share about the story with us? Well, I remember this was at Hungarian, my mom and my aunt. I was young at the time, about 20, I want to say. My mom and my aunt were uh, working in the kitchen, and the, the Secret Service from Israel were all over Hungarian the whole day because it was downtown. 
in one of the hotels and we were supplying the food for the hotel. So they were baking actually and cooking the meals and the, everything they did was with the Secret Service watching over them. It was one of my mother still remembers. Uh, it was really an enriching experience for my, especially for survivors of the Holocaust to be. Yes. Oh my God, I'm, I'm like very moved. So that I actually wrote that in one of the stories in the book because what the book tries to give bring history alive and also give a different perspective. Instead of just seeing the Holocaust as the horrific events that were perpetrated on just people who went to the gas chambers, or pe- it tries to give a picture of a people as individuals, the community, how they lived, what was their culture, what did they do on Purim, what did they do on Sukkot, how was Shabbat, and it also tries to give a picture even during the Holocaust of their strength and their courage and how they cared for each other and kindnesses that happened. So one of the, those are through dishes that remind you of certain episodes in your life, which everyone has that. And then in one of those foods that we cooked was for Menachem Begin. The whole story is in the book. And we, we, by the way, I just want to you know tell people where, where ask you for people that want to buy it. Where can they pick the book up? So you can buy the book. It's at in New York. It's at a lot of the Jewish bookstores. I know it's at Judaica Plus at in in Long Island at the different Whoa, that's me. That's Jewish bookstores. Me. It's in at Eichler's. It's in um, Teaneck. It's in. Yeah, it's all over the New York Jewish bookstores. It's on Amazon. You can order it on thecherrypress.com on our website. You can order it from hungariankosherfoods.com, from our hungariankosher.com, our website at the store. And, it, of course, the, you could always get it just on Amazon also. Yeah, Amazon's great. i got to say, I, lo- I love our Jewish bookstores. Whenever I go there to try to get a book or a safer, like you just wander around for- like an hour. I can nev- never go to Judaica Plus just to run and grab something because I love to walk around the store. Reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of Israel. Like when we go to Mesharim and buy all the all this bar in there, I just love to look around at all the trinkets right. and Judaica and everything. It's great. They're like museums as well. But remember, you can buy things. So, uh, But Amazon is terrific if you're not in an area where you have um, – a lot of a lot of uh, Judaica stores right here in the five towns. We must have five right on Central Avenue. Right, I was just there. Actually, one of the um, most inspirational ways that I've sold the book is through events, and mm. I, I I must say that I, I did this book because I was passionate about telling the story through a different light, and. I want, and I feel like it's been so inspirational for me and that for the people that I reach who then share with me their stories and recall their favorite foods and bring, go home and share that with their children and their families about their parents. And, you know, I find that this is, it works for children, it it. it uh, older people, Jewish, non-Jewish, but the events that we that we have are really so inspirational, and so I, I just love doing large group events for people. Uh, that's a lot of fun. That's really it's like almost like a cooking demo when you talk about you know the book. I have the actually done cooking demos also. I did. So Lynn is now available if you want to bring her out to your community. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, do a, a demo and buy her book. The photography, the photography is definitely like old school, showing just the the, the uh, plating and and you know the the natural dish. Not every not every recipe has a picture, um, but you know it just shows you a little bit what you know uh, what how you can present it. Also, um, I have some. What would be typical Hungarian dish for those of you who are not from European families or not, you know, not familiar with what Hungarian food is, as opposed to, say, Polish food. How well, is Hungarian food different? Uh, chick- it's de- 
defined by foods of the region, and paprika is always in all Hungarian dishes, of course. Garlic is pretty prominent, but chicken paprikash is absolutely a Hungarian dish. And I would say kakos, the pastry, is my mom's signature pastry. Oh, kakos is Hungarian? I did not realize that. Mm, yes, and also the what you'll notice that I have a photo of ragalach kipalach, which my mom always called kipalach, and the Hungarians all call it kipalach because a kipal is a crescent shaped, and so we Hungarian Czech Jews call it kipalach, which is the yeast uh, pastry, and. Whereas I think the Polish will call it ragalach. Right, so, right. So that's Hungarian. But one of the most interesting foods is quince preserves, which I have in there. Yeah, chapter and 10. Quince and lekvar, which are lekvar. very prominent in the Hungarian cooking. And I've made it really easy to make in today's modern kitchen. And I must tell you that every time I've had them at tastings for events, people go home and make it. That's great. That's what you want to hear. That's what you want to hear. You love when people make your stuff. It's great. Look at the quince preserves. What What is quince exactly? It's kind of like a cousin of a pear? It's it's a, a, sort of a cross between an apple, a pear, and it's its own fruit, obviously. And very, it's available from the end of August in through the fall. And that's interesting because that's why we associate it, my family and the Hungarian Jews associate it with Sukkot and Rosh Hashanah because my mother always put quince into quince compote or quince preserves and made it at that season. You've actually got and a recipe one, for etrog and quince. Yes, and it's delicious. You, can nev- you never find etrog recipes, but you've actually got an etrog recipe, etrog quince compote. Uh huh, I do. It's complicated to prepare the estrog, but even just to cook the quince, <laughs> I would. Quince is a very hard fruit that looks yellow like an apple, but really hard. But when you cook it up, as you cook it, the longer you cook it, the aroma that it gives off into your house is per, like perfume. It's such a beautiful scent that it's worth cooking just for the aroma. I would say, and the longer you cook it, the more rosy and red the fruit becomes. Oh, my mouth is watering listening to that. Well, I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of compote or stewed fruit. My grand, my grandparents, um, Oliver Shom, were Polish, and my grandfather used to love compote. Mm-hmm. Loved compote. I think it's definitely also like very European. Um, but I see that in the book. There's like you've got so many different recipes, which is great. Like I think I would actually make one of these things. I will tell you that we just had, because I have, I keep it. I make it and then I use it during the year. And I just had it at this Yiddish Book Center and afterwards. And I put it on, if you make the quince preserves and don't make it and make it just almost like a preserve, but it becomes like a relish. You can serve it on crackers even or with cheese, and it's delicious, delicious. Mm, Yum, yum, yum. What's your family's favorite that you make from the book? What's what would you I mean, be, I if have you had to go to make... back and tell you my favorite is the chicken paprikash. <laughs> we, really? we always make chicken paprikash as our comfort food. It's, I love that. My son made it once for his friends, and they devoured it. So it really, the young people love it. The older people love it. It knows no age bounds. It's just, and it's very easy to make. Once chicken you get, paprikash with dumplings. Yeah, once you know how to make it, it's very easy to make. Yeah, it doesn't look, you know, it's, um, I'm looking at the recipe now for the paprikash. It's oil and onions, cut up chicken, paprikash. Well, okay, here's a, here's a question that I've always wanted to know, and I'm, I'm glad I can ask someone from true Hungarian descent. What is sweet Hungarian paprika as opposed to other paprika? As opposed to hot paprika. 
So the hot is very spicy. You, Hungarians were uh, known for its uh, paprika, and uh, especially from a town, uh, Szeged, near my mom's town, and they grew paprika, and the bright red Hungarian paprika has a really good flavor. And I should tell you that we use Hungarian paprika. Because so is there a difference when you go to the store and you see, like, it just says paprika on it? Does that mean Hungarian paprika? Or um, that's regular paprika? No, that's regular. Part? We use paprika from Hungary. And okay. you can find it with a hechsher. We actually sell it at Hungarian Kosher Foods. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> and <laughs> my daughter actually brings some to Israel with her <laughs> to cook oh, with. that's funny. Mm-hmm. It's just a fam. I don't know. That, but that it makes the ma- most major difference, but it is brighter, fresher. So we use Hungarian paprika, and that diff- you'll notice that there's paprikash potatoes in there in the book. Also, I would say that chicken paprikash is one of my favorites. But I will tell you that if you've noticed the duck in there, the duck with the fruits, yes. That is delicious. My mom made that every okay, year. Okay, I did see that. It, was the duck available in Hungary? I'm curious. Uh, they had duck. Isn't that interesting? My my mom, they had duck also. But they, you know, mostly had goose. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a whole little bit on goose. There is, because they had, uh, they used to uh, have a, a goose, and then they would smoke it and keep it during the winter and use goose fat for schmaltz. Oh, they didn't yum. really have margarine, so they used, they made their own rendered goose fat for schmaltz. And they also, which is so interesting, when they wanted to bake something parav, they often used coconut fat. I find that interesting which is because it's very trendy today. To so back in right now. Right. Everybody, every recipe. I don't cook with margarine ever, but I will cook. I roast my potatoes in duck fat. Whenever I have duck fat rendered mm-hmm. off my duck, I always toss the potatoes in them. <laughs> but I would right. never cook with margarine. <laughs> right. Nothing like the regular chicken fat, duck fat. And we make our – there's a recipe for Passover noodles, luxion. Yeah. Which we we make in the chicken fat. And – that gives it the flavor is the chicken fat. It's amazing. You cannot oh, make that in a margarine or an oil. It has to right, be made right. chicken fat. I'm, I'm looking flavor. at the beautiful picture now, and I really want everyone to get this book because especially, you know, it's, it's such a really nice gift to someone who's got grandparents or older aunts and uncles who want to have a trip down memory lane or someone who's into history, especially Jewish history. It's, it's very actually popular to go back to your hometown or you take the children and the great-grandchildren back to your hometown and I see that you did that also yes we did my dad felt that it was important to tell the kids his grandchildren where they came from that they didn't just he said that after the war was over and he didn't know if anyone had survived at all you feel like where are you from where did you begin and he felt it was really important for them to know where they came from. And it was a very enriching trip for them to understand the journey that my parents had been on. And I actually think, to go beyond, that it isn't it, what started out as a story for my parents and became, to me, a tribute for all Holocaust survivors. But I think it goes beyond that even for People who are even not Jewish, it also takes them back to their beginnings. Even if their beginnings are different, it becomes inspirational for them to talk about where their families are from. And I've experienced that with people telling me this, non-Jews and as well as Jews, and to tell me where their families were from. And right. so it does take you down memory lane. It also takes you to the foods that were your family foods. And it becomes inspirational for you to go and talk to your children about your family and where it's from. And 
many, many people connect to it who have the same, many who have the same history and many who don't. Right, right. We all have so much of a similar history, you know, um, the Polish Jews and, and, and the uh, Hungarian Jews. and There's so much intertwined, I think, also. I think so. And, you know, after whenever my parents, in one of the stories you'll see for an easy cabbage soup, there's a story about Desert Hot Springs. My parents used to go there when they became, when they were a little older in the winters. And there was a group of Holocaust survivors from all over Europe that would go. Oh, nice. And of, from who live today in Canada and, and the States and all over. And always the stories went back to the Holocaust and where they were from and what their childhood was like. And so much of it revolved around the food they had and the um, warmth and embrace of family that the food conjures up in your mind and where were you and where, and, and it ties them together and it actually ties the future generations together also. I love that. I love that. You know, my grandparents, when they used to get together with their friends and play cards, they would talk about the Altaheim, the old right. home, and, and what life was like. You know, a lot of them couldn't, though, share. In the, my, I don't know so much. And my grandmother passed away about six years ago. Her yacht side is coming up. My grandfather, uh, about 20. He, I was nine months preg- pregnant with my oldest daughter when he passed away. Um, and we really, like, we would... That they wouldn't talk so much about. Like, we don't know a lot about what happened. It's all like in bits and pieces. Some of my mother's cousins remember some things and, and from their mother, like my grandfather's siblings um, or my grandmother and her siblings. Nobody really knows the whole story. I can't put it all together. And they're, they're all gone now. I have one great aunt left, Auntie Luba Marchak in Sydney, Australia, uh, who was from Vilna. But nobody knows the whole story. Like, you've put it pen to paper and the recipes my grandmother was an amazing cook I mean my mum's amazing too but everything was in her head and she couldn't tell you a measurements or anything and it's not written down and we don't know exactly how her parents died in the war or where you know or even what country they died in they were from Vilna but where were they where, where did they go where did they end up a lot of that was lost, but you've actually been able to piece together and write it down for your family. Yes. I'm a little so, jealous. <laughs> I will tell you, uh, I want to, let me refer to two of the topics that you brought up, and one is the, what you're talking about, this history and how I put it down. So my parents spoke about it all the time. My father was an, a collector of memories, as one of my sons said, and he was a master storyteller. He would talk to his customers and to his friends and to us when we were children. These were my bedtime stories. But uh, beyond that, I wanted to make sure of the accuracy of many of his stories. So, for example, when he said that he remembers, like yesterday, August 16, 1944, when the Allies bombed Magdeburg. He was with standing next to his father, and the ground just swallowed his father up from the ground. <clears throat> but what is so interesting is that I was able to confirm that date. First of all, I was able to confirm even the battalion that bombed Magdeburg on August 16, 1944. And also, I want to share with you and with all your listeners that there is a wealth of information today, both on the Internet and also at the U.S. Holocaust Museum. About in Washington? About five years ago, one, Germany shared... Is that the one in Washington? Yes. So about five years ago, Germany shared over 40 million documents with the U.S. Holocaust Museum and with Yad Vashem in Israel. And there are people who can actually really help you look up dates. So if you know a little bit about your family or if you know names or if you might know a year of birth or you might know a city where they're from, they really are good at research. And I found information and about my father's younger brother that I had never found before. I saw a picture of him. I had never seen one before. 
They had documentation about my father's father, so that again confirmed the date. They had documentation about an uncle of mine. They have you can really uh, help find research of your family there, and I'm happy to help anyone who wants to email me. Yeah, there. So just email me at lynn.thecherrypress at gmail.com. And the other thing is the measurements that you spoke about. Right. I right. My mom yeah. is blind, and I actually tested the recipes over and over and over with my mom, and then they were tested in the kitchen of our store. But when I had to do a handful and change it into a half a cup, a quarter cup, or something, my mom's handful is exactly the same handful every time. We did it six times to measure. Unbelievable. Wow. So they were able to do that. And then you have to change a glazola into a cup. And, of course, that always depends on what size your glazola or glass I know, is. I know. I hate when they used to, they used to write one, um, like the yardside candles, they would use those cups. Oh, that is a Holocaust survivor story for sure. All of us had those in the homes. Right. Like so well, one cup of this and one cup of that, I'm like the glazola, as you would say, would be a yardside cup glass. So it's very right. funny. You had to try to work that out. Totally. That totally speaks to us. Lynn, thank you so much for coming on the show. Our half hour is just about over. You have been such a pleasure to talk to and I'm like very moved from this as a granddaughter. My middle name is Sarah, who's um, I'm named after my grandmother's nine-year-old sister who was pulled out of her arms and sent to the gas chamber. So I kind of like carry her legacy with me um, on a daily basis, being her namesake. So it's like um, very always very moving to talk to um, survivors or descendants of survivors, my mum being a baby boomer also. So... Um, it's been an incredible journey today, listening to your story and reading your book. Everyone grab the book, Food, Family and Friends, Food, Family and Traditions uh, by Lynn Kerr Shapiro. Thank you so much, Naomi. It's really been a privilege for me to share my story and our stories together through the embrace of food. And thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Lynn. And a big shout out to Debbie Fox, uh, who owns Rose and Bloom's Judaica. Uh, out there in uh, Skokie, uh, Chicago, uh, Skokie, Illinois. Um, and I just wanted to thank you again for being on the show. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. We have music sponsored by Kerem right up to Lichmenching. Stay tuned. And everyone, have a Shabbat Shalom. This show is sponsored by Natural and Kosher, where quality and flavor matter. Bye. Shabbat Shalom. Bye.